0: Chapter 8 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 2 The Massacres of the South. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 2 The Massacres of the South by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 8 For some days Avignon had its assassins as marseilles had had them and as nimes was about to have them for some days all avignon shuddered at the names of five men pointu fargus roquefort naudade and magnon pointu was a perfect type of the men of the south olive-skinned and eagle-eyed with a hook nose and teeth of ivory although he was hardly above middle height and his back was bent from bearing heavy burdens his legs bowed by the pressure of the enormous masses which he daily carried he was yet possessed of extraordinary strength and dexterity he could throw over the loule gate a forty-eight pound cannonball as easily as a child could throw its ball he could fling a stone from one bank of the rhone to the other where it was two hundred yards wide and lastly he could throw a knife backwards while running at full speed with such strength and precision of aim that this new kind of parthian arrow would go whistling through the air to hide two inches of its iron head in a tree trunk no thicker than a man's thigh when to these accomplishments are added an equal skill with the musket the pistol and the quarter-staff a good deal of mother wit a deep hatred for republicans against whom he had vowed vengeance at the foot of the scaffold on which his father and mother had perished an idea can be formed of the terrible chief of the assassins of avignon who had for his lieutenants fargus the silk weaver roquefort the porter Nodad the baker and Magnon, the second-hand clothes-dealer avignon was entirely in the power of these five men whose brutal conduct the civil and military authorities would not or could not repress when word came that marshal brune who was at luc in command of six thousand troops had been summoned to paris to give an account of his conduct to the new government the marshal knowing the state of intense excitement which prevailed in the south and foreseeing the perils likely to meet him on the road asked permission to travel by water but met with an official refusal, and the Duc de Riviere, governor of Marseille, furnished him with a safe conduct. The cutthroats bellowed with joy when they learned that a Republican of 89, who had risen to the rank of Marshal under the usurper, was about to pass through Avignon. At the same time, sinister reports began to run from mouth to mouth the harbingers of death once more the infamous slander which a hundred times had been proved to be false raised its voice with a dogged persistence asserting that Bruna, who did not arrive at paris until the fifth of september seventeen ninety two had on the second when still at Lyon, carried the head of the princess de Lamballe impaled on a pike soon the news came that the marshal had just escaped assassination at Aix. indeed he owed his safety to the fleetness of his horses pointu Forgus, and roquefort swore that they would manage things better at avignon by the route which the marshal had chosen there were only two ways open by which he could reach lyon he must either pass through avignon or avoid it by taking a cross-road which branched off at the pointette highway two leagues outside the town the assassins thought that he would take the latter course and on the second of august the day on which the marshal was expected pointu magnon and nadaud with four of their creatures took a carriage at six o'clock in the morning and setting out from the rhone bridge hid themselves by the side of the high road to Pontet. when the marshal reached the point where the road divided having been warned of the hostile feelings so rife in avignon he decided to take the crossroad upon which pointu and his men were awaiting him but the postillion obstinately refused to drive in this direction saying that he always changed horses at avignon and not at pointette one of the marshal's aide-de-camp tried, pistol in hand, to force him to obey, but the marshal would permit no violence to be offered him, and gave him orders to go on to Avignon. The marshal reached the town at nine o'clock in the morning and alighted at the Hotel de Palais-Royal, which was also the post-house. While fresh horses were being put to and the passports and safe conduct examined at the Loul gate, the marshal entered the hotel to take a plate of soup, In less than five minutes a crowd gathered round the door and monsieur moulin the proprietor noticing the sinister and threatening expression many of the faces bore went to the marshal's room and urged him to leave instantly without waiting for his papers pledging his word that he would send a man on horseback after him who would overtake him two or three leagues beyond the town and bring him his own safe-conduct and the passports of his aide-de-camp the marshal came downstairs and finding the horses ready got into the carriage on which loud murmurs arose from the populace amongst which could be distinguished the word zao that excited cry of the provincial which according to the tone in which it is uttered expresses every shade of threat and which means at once in a single syllable bite rend kill murder the marshal set out at a gallop and passed the town gates unmolested except by the howlings of the populace who however made no attempt to stop him he thought he had left all his enemies behind but when he reached the rhone bridge he found a group of men armed with muskets waiting there led by fargus and roquefort they all raised their guns and took aim at the marshal who thereupon ordered the postillion to drive back the order was obeyed but when the carriage had gone about fifty yards it was met by a crowd from the palais royal which had followed it so the postillion stopped In a moment, the traces were cut. Whereupon the marshal, opening the door, alighted, followed by his valet, and passing on foot through the Loul gate, followed by a second carriage in which were his aide-de-camp, he regained the Palais Royal. The doors of which were opened to him and his suite, and immediately secured against all others. The marshal asked to be shown to a room, and Monsieur Moulin gave him number one to the front. In ten minutes, three thousand people filled the square. It was as if the population sprang up from the ground just then the carriage which the marshal had left behind came up the postillion having tied the traces and a second time the great yard gates were opened and in spite of the press closed again and barricaded by the porter Fernay and monsieur moulin himself both of whom were men of colossal strength the aide-de-camp who had remained in the carriage until then now alighted and asked to be shown to the marshal but Moulin ordered the porter to conceal them in an outhouse. Fernet, taking one in each hand, dragged them off despite their struggles, and pushing them behind some empty barrels, over which he threw an old piece of carpet, said to them in a voice as solemn as if he were a prophet, If you move, you are dead men, and left them. The aide-de-camp remained there motionless and silent. At that moment, Monsieur de saint Chamond, prefect of Avignon who had arrived in town at five o'clock in the morning, came out into the courtyard by this time the crowd was smashing the windows and breaking in the street door the square was full to overflowing everywhere threatening cries were heard and above all the terrible zow from which moment to moment became more full of menace Monsieur moulin saw that if they could not hold out until the troops under major lambeau arrived all was lost he therefore told Fernet to settle the business of those who were breaking in the door while he would take charge of those who were trying to get in at the window thus these two men moved by a common impulse and of equal courage undertook to dispute with a howling mob the possession of the blood for which it thirsted both dashed to their posts one in the hall the other in the dining-room and found door and windows already smashed and several men in the house at the sight of Fernay, with whose immense strength they were acquainted those in the hall drew back a step and ferney taking advantage of this moment succeeded in ejecting them and in securing the door once more meantime monsieur moulin seizing his double barreled gun which stood in the chimney-corner pointed it at five men who had got into the dining-room and threatened to fire if they did not instantly get out again four obeyed but one refused to budge whereupon moulin finding himself no longer outnumbered laid aside his gun and seizing his adversary round the waist lifted him as if he were a child and flung him out of the window the man died three weeks later not from the fall but from the squeeze moulin then dashed to the window to secure it but as he laid his hand on it he felt his head seize from behind and pressed violently down on his left shoulder at the same instant a pane was broken into splinters and the head of a hatchet struck his right shoulder Monsieur de saint chamond who had followed him into the room had seen the weapon thrown at moulin's head and not being able to turn aside the iron had turned aside the object at which it was aimed moulin seized the hatchet by the handle and tore it out of the hands of him who had delivered the blow which fortunately had missed its aim he then finished closing the window and secured it by making fast the inside shutters and went upstairs to see after the marshal him he found striding up and down his room his handsome and noble face as calm as if the voices of all those shouting men outside were not demanding his death moulin made him leave number one for number three which being a back room and looking out on the courtyard seemed to offer more chances of safety than the other the marshal asked for writing materials which moulin brought whereupon the marshal sat down at a little table and began to write just then the cries outside became still more uproarious Monsieur de saint-chamand had gone out and ordered the crowd to disperse whereupon a thousand people had answered him with one voice asking who he was that he should give such an order he announced his rank and authority to which the answer was we only know the prefect by his clothes now it had unfortunately happened that monsieur de Chaman, having sent his trunks by diligence they had not yet arrived and being dressed in a green coat nankeen trousers and a pique vest it could hardly be expected that in such a suit he should over all the people under the circumstances so when he got up on a bench to harangue the populace cries arose of down with the green coat we have enough of charlatans like that and he was forced to get down again as ferney opened the door to let him in several men took advantage of the circumstance to push in along with him but ferney let his fist fall three times and three men rolled at his feet like bulls struck by a club the others withdrew a dozen champions such as ferney would have saved the marshal yet it must not be forgotten that this man was a royalist and held the same opinions as those against whom he fought for him as for them the marshal was a mortal enemy but he had a noble heart and if the marshal were guilty he desired a trial and not a murder meantime a certain onlooker had heard what had been said to monsieur de Chamin about his unofficial costume and had gone to put on his uniform this was monsieur de p a handsome and venerable old man with white hair pleasant expression and winning voice he soon came back in his mayor's robes wearing his scarf and his double cross of saint louis and the legion of honour but neither his age nor his dignity made the slightest impression on these people they did not even allow him to get back to the hotel door but knocked him down and trampled him under foot so that he hardly escaped with torn clothes and his white hair covered with dust and blood the fury of the mob had now reached its height at this juncture the garrison of avignon came in sight it was composed of four hundred volunteers who formed a battalion known as the royal angulema it was commanded by a man who had assumed the title of lieutenant-general of the emancipating army of Vacluse. these forces drew up under the windows of the palais royal they were composed almost entirely of provenceux and spoke the same dialect as the people of the lower orders the crowd asked the soldiers for what they had come why they did not leave them to accomplish an act of justice in peace and if they intended to interfere quite the contrary said one of the soldiers pitch him out of the window and we will catch him on the points of our bayonets brutal cries of joy greeted this answer succeeded by a short silence but it was easy to see that under the apparent calm the crowd was in a state of eager expectation soon new shouts were heard but this time from the interior of the hotel a small band of men led by Forgus and roquefort had separated themselves from the throng and by the help of ladders had scaled the walls and got on the roof of the house and gliding down the other side had dropped into the balcony outside the windows of the rooms where the marshal was writing some of these dashed through the windows without waiting to open them others rushed in at the open door the marshal thus taken by surprise rose and not wishing that the letter he was writing to the austrian commandant to claim his protection should fall into the hands of these wretches he tore it to pieces then a man who belonged to a better class than the others and who wears to-day the cross of the legion of honor granted to him perhaps for his conduct on this occasion advanced towards the marshal sword in hand and told him if he had any last arrangements to make he should make them at once for he had only ten minutes to live what are you thinking of exclaimed forgus ten minutes did he give the princesse de Lamballe ten minutes and he pointed his pistol at the marshal's breast but the marshal striking up the weapon the shot missed its aim and buried itself in the ceiling clumsy fellow said the marshal shrugging his shoulders not to be able to kill a man at such a close range that's true replied roquefort in his patois i'll show you how to do it and receding a step he took aim with his carbine at his victim whose back was partly towards him a report was heard and the marshal fell dead on the spot the bullet which entered at the shoulder going right through his body and striking the opposite wall the two shots which had been heard in the street made the howling mob dance for joy one cowardly fellow called cadillan rushed out on one of the balconies which looked on the square and holding a loaded pistol in each hand which he had not dared to discharge even into the dead body of the murdered man he cut a caper and holding up the innocent weapons called out these have done the business but he lied the braggart and boasted of a crime which was committed by braver cutthroats than he behind him came the general of the emancipating army of Vacluse, who graciously saluting the crowd said the marshal has carried out an act of justice by taking his own life shouts of mingled joy revenge and hatred rose from the crowd and the king's attorney and the examining magistrate set about drawing up a report of the suicide now that all was over and there was no longer any question of saving the marshal monsieur moulin desired at least to save the valuables which he had in his carriage he found in a cash-box forty thousand francs in the pockets a snuff-box set with diamonds and a pair of pistols and two swords the hilt of one of these latter was studded with precious stones a gift from the ill-starred selim monsieur moulin returned across the court carrying these things The Damascus blade was wrenched from his hands and the robber kept it five years as a trophy and it was not until the year 1820 that he was forced to give it up to the representative of the marshal's widow. Yet this man was an officer and kept his rank all through the restoration and was not dismissed the army till 1830 when Monsieur Moulin had placed the other objects in safety. He requested the magistrate to have the corpse removed as he wished the crowds to disperse that he might look after the aide-de-camp while they were undressing the marshal in order to certify the cause of death a leathern belt was found on him containing five thousand five hundred and thirty-six francs the body was carried downstairs by the gravediggers without any opposition being offered but hardly had they advanced ten yards into the square when shouts of to the rhone to the rhone resounded on all sides a police officer who tried to interfere was knocked down the bearers were ordered to turn round they obeyed and the crowd carried them off towards the wooden bridge when the fourteenth arch was reached the bier was torn from the bearer's hands and the corpse was flung into the river military honours shouted some one and all who had guns fired at the dead body which was twice struck tomb of marshal brune was then written on the arch and the crowd withdrew and passed the rest of the day in holiday making meanwhile the rhone refusing to be an accomplice in such a crime bore away the corpse which the assassins believed had been swallowed up for ever next day it was found on the sandy shore at tarascon but the news of the murder had preceded it and it was recognised by the wounds and pushed back again into the waters which bore it toward the sea three leagues farther on it stopped again this time by a grassy bank and was found by a man of forty and another of eighteen they also recognised it but instead of shoving it back into the current they drew it up gently on the bank and carried it to a small property belonging to one of them where they reverently interred it the elder of the two was Monsieur de chartreuse the younger Monsieur Amédée pichot the body was exhumed by order of the marshal's widow and brought to her castle of saint-just in champagne she had it embalmed and placed in a bedroom adjoining her own where it remained covered only by a veil until the memory of the deceased was cleansed from the accusation of suicide by a solemn public trial and judgment then only it was finally interred along with the parchment containing the decision of the court of Riom. the ruffians who killed marshal brune although they evaded the justice of men did not escape the vengeance of god nearly every one of them came to a miserable end Roquefort and Fargus were attacked by strange and hitherto unknown diseases, recalling the plagues sent by God on the peoples whom he desired to punish in bygone ages. In the case of Fargus, his skin dried up and became horny, causing him such intense irritation that as the only means of allaying it, he had to be kept buried up to the neck while still alive. The disease under which Roquefort suffered seemed to have its seat in the marrow, for his bones by degrees lost all solidity and power of resistance so that his limbs refused to bear his weight and he went about the streets crawling like a serpent both died in such dreadful torture that they regretted having escaped the scaffold which would have spared them such prolonged agony pointu was condemned to death in his absence at the assizes court of Le Drôme for having murdered five people and was cast off by his own faction for some time his wife who was infirm and deformed might be seen going from house to house asking alms for him who had been for two months the arbiter of civil war and assassination then came a day when she ceased her quest and was seen sitting her head covered by a black rag pointu was dead but it was never known where or how in some corner probably in the crevice of a rock or in the heart of the forest like an old tiger whose talons have been clipped and his teeth drawn. Naudade and Magnan were sentenced to the galleys for ten years. Naudade died there, but Magnon finished his time and then became a scavenger, and faithful to his vocation as a dealer of death, a poisoner of stray dogs. Some of these cutthroats are still living and fill good positions, wearing crosses and epaulettes, and rejoicing in their impunity, imagining they have escaped the eye of God. We shall wait and see." End of chapter 8. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.